Hi everyone, just before we start this episode, I want to announce the winners of our competition. Rob.only54 and Sunbrit, you are the lucky winners of a free guidebook each. If you can email us on competitions at roughguides.com to let us know what book you'd like and where we should send it, then we'll get that sorted straight away. Um, this is actually the final episode of series three, so please do let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to hear more of in future. Okay, on with the show. Becca, is that a tiny little violin you've got there? It is. Is that a tiny little tear glistening in your eye? It is glistening. Now it's rolling down my cheek. Oh, there it goes into my mouth. <laughs> salty, salty sadness. But we've done some good things, haven't we? Yeah, it, it feels really weird to be on the last episode of the season, but I'm I'm really proud of, of what we've done so far. Yeah, there's been some cracking, cracking episodes and great moments. And in fact, actually, I think one of my favourites, if not my favourite, was the was the DNA episode. Thank you, Neil. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Really proud, really happy with how it turned out. And I'm glad the world got to meet my amazing Nana and Nonna as well. Yeah, and he's spitting into a tube. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. What was it that uh, stayed with you? What it was the identity bit actually. Mm-hmm. It was that that whole idea of how do we think about what we are and who we are and what makes us up. And um, I've been thinking about travelling to New Orleans next year, so I've been reading about Mardi Gras and all that. And and I came across this incredible story of the, the Mardi Gras Indians, and that's what we're doing this episode. Great. Well, let's let's go to New Orleans then. Becca's foray into DNA travel in the last episode got me thinking a lot about identity. Is travel about identity? I mean, if you choose your next destination by consulting your genetic breakdown, then I'd say yes. But what about the way travel helps us understand other people's identities? While DNA travel can give you a great picture of your genetic identity, presenting your heritage in percentages neatly parceled up according to different geographical regions, what if you feel that this just isn't quite enough? Identity must surely be more than just blood. Recently I was thinking about my travels for next year. I've been thinking a lot about New Orleans. I've never been, but I've always been drawn to it. It's a city where so many different cultures collide. And during that research, I stumbled on the black masking Indians of New Orleans, who have made me look at identity politics in a whole new light. This tradition is a way to illuminate and to experience freedom. When you put on your suit, because it's not a costume, when you put on your suit, you are walking in that freedom, freedom of expression. During the mid-1700s, enslaved Africans fled their plantations to the bayous of Louisiana, where they encountered Native American communities. Some runaway slaves apparently sought refuge with these Native American groups, 
and ended up living free in their communities, learning from their cultures and traditions. Today there are around 100 groups, or tribes, of African Americans in New Orleans who go to Mardi Gras in full body suits, tightly beaded and resplendent with feathers, dancing, singing and chanting. They're known as Mardi Gras Indians, or Black Masking Indians, a name which references the fact that they used to have to wear masks to join in with the Mardi Gras without revealing the colour of their skin. While some African Americans who take part in the Black Masking Indian traditions have Native American ancestry, they're not all direct descendants from those groups. According to the Black Masking Indians, the Mardi Gras celebrations are simply meant to pay homage to the Native Americans who took them in and to their shared struggle for emancipation. It's a complicated story. To help me understand, I spoke to a woman called Cherise. I'm Cherise Harrison Nelson from New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm the former uh, curator of the Mardi Gras Indian Hall of Fame and a member of the Guardians of the Flame Maroon Society. According to Cherise, she had her own personal aha identity moment when she went to a talk by Stokely Carmichael, one of the heads of the Black Panther Party. He changed the way I approached my life. Um, he was able to crystallize for me all the things that my parents instilled in me with simple analogies and the importance of walking in greatness and walking in who you are as an African. And his analogy was that if you place a pregnant cat in an oven and she gives birth, what do you call her babies? Do you call them biscuits because they were born in an oven? No, you call them kittens because they're cats. That's what you call cats when they're born. And the analogy was that we are Africans. We are not Negroes. We are not blacks. We are Africans who happen to be born in America. And that's why I reject the term black as a descriptor for me, because it really is a hierarchical racial paradigm. Black is less than evil. White is good in here. And it's not about that. It's about being a human being. And I will always embrace who I am. So my classic literature may not be, uh, you know, Tennessee Williams. It might be Achebe. And my classic music may be jazz and not Bach. Sharice is the big queen of the Guardians of the Flame Maroon Society. Guardians of the Flame, founded in 1949, is one of the tribes of black masking Indians that mask today in New Orleans. It was Sharice that added Maroon Society to the title. This is part of the legacy she preserves. So oh, we call ourselves Maroons because Maroons are people who self-emancipate themselves. They resist being enslaved. They resist it. I resist today. I am the descendant, descendant of Maroons. I resist because that is in my spirit, in my heart, in my soul. Cherise taught me a bit about how the structure of a tribe works.
So you have your big chief and your big queen. These guys are the top dogs. Aside from the big chief and the big queen, you have your lesser chiefs and queens in the tribe. Kind of like second and third in commands. You also have your people with specific roles for the Mardi Gras procession, like the spy boy. Spy boy goes at the front of the procession ahead of the big chief. Spy boy's job is to signal to the big chief any potential trouble or approaching rival tribes. Then there are also flag boys. Flag boys walk behind the spy boys but in front of the big chiefs, carrying a huge staff decorated with feathers and a symbol of the tribe. Their responsibility is to pass along spy boy's information to the big chief and return the big chief's response back to the spy boy. Sharice's father is Big Chief Donald Harrison Sr., former Big Chief of her tribe. My dad was a strong man. He was very intelligent, much smarter than I will ever, ever be. Uh, he was an avid reader. He liked philosophy, history, and religion. Um, he, he was a jazz enthusiast. He had a sense of humor, and he had a, a sense of justice. He was, I guess, an existentialist. He definitely believed in free will. And um, I'm paraphrasing it. I don't exactly know how it, the exact wording, but the gist of it was, you don't authority that does not justify itself is not authority. You can't tell me what to do. You know, do you have the right to tell me what to do? What gives you the right to tell me what to do? You're you telling me that you're the authority and I have to do it this way. If it's not just, maybe I don't have to do it. Cherise follows in her father's legacy in so many ways. She takes nothing for granted and she does her first share of questioning authority, even when it's her father's. For before Cherise started masking herself, her father invited Cherise's son to mask. In the beginning, my father groomed my son from infancy to be a part of his group. And you saw a lot, I did, on my son's suit, and I still do, in what I call the still of the night. When it's very still and it's very quiet, I'm very busy. But I can be, in my busyness, it's a quiet moment, even for me, because it's very centering. I figure out life during those moments. And while I was sewing one night, uh, I just decided I wanted to be a part of it. I didn't want to experience it vicariously through my son anymore. And I had to decide how I would ask my father if I could be a member of our group, Guardians of the Flame. And when I did ask, he said, no, this isn't for you. You don't have the personality basically go over there and be a quiet little teacher girl. And not wanting to accept that, I turned to his second chief and asked, can I be your queen? And he said yes, and that was my foray into the tradition. And after the first year, my father said I would be his queen. So I became the big queen of the Guardians of the Flame. And even then, I had to find my space as a female because this is a male-led tradition, not dominated. 
I describe myself as a feminist in a traditional manner that women should have opportunities just like men. Opportunities shouldn't be gender-based. And nothing is gender-based. It's based on you as a human being, not based on your gender, not based on your uh, skin color. Because we're all human beings. You pull, take off this layer of brown skin. I'm the same as you underneath. I have a heart, a liver, kidneys. And so why should my covering impede my opportunity? Oh, I ain't too big across my chest. I don't give a damn about the good Lord, and I care less about that when I put the feathers in my head on a Mardi Gras morning. Oh, I said a golden crown, a golden crown. So for years now, Charisse has been the big queen of the Guardians of the Flame Maroon Society. She does her beading, and then every year she marches with her tribe on Mardi Gras Day. And seriously, her suits are incredible. As Charisse describes it, the suits feature flat beaded narration. That means that they depict whole scenes with each one telling a different story that can range from a historical battle to a folktale to a Black Lives Matter protest. Some are also dedicated to people, honouring one ancestor, a god, or an inspirational figure. I asked Charisse where these ideas for her suits come from. The images come to me through dreams, um, through scents, through auditory memories that I don't know where they come from, but I know that the ancestors are speaking with me, are speaking to me, and it's for me to interpret what I want to do. One of my suits, Rise Up, from 2013, was a depiction of my battle with cancer. And I'm actually beaded, my image is beaded in the suit in two places, and I have uh, braids in my hair. Well, the braids are actually my hair that was cut in a special ceremony before I went through chemo because I decided chemo would not take my hair. I would cut my hair like a warrior going into battle. So I always tell people I don't mask. How can I mask as myself? I am me. So instead of masking, I am naked and I am revealing my authentic self to you. So I reveal to you on Carnival Morning who I am. This is who I am. So it's not, for me, it's not masking. I'm not the happy dancing brown person with feathers and beads. It's more than that for me. Because when you do, when you just approach it as happy dancing, it is happy and dancing, but it is taking the atrocities that have been perpetuated against my people and finding a way to manifest that in beauty. You can't tell me I'm ugly because I have created this work of beauty. You can't tell me my culture is worthless because I have manifested it in something that gives joy to the world and me. 
And my happiness is my happiness. You can't have it. You don't have anything to do with it. This is my joy. This has nothing to do with you. If you like it because you see it, fine, but I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. So this tradition is a way to illuminate that and to experience freedom. When you put on your suit, because it's not a costume, when you put on your suit, you are walking in that freedom, freedom of expression. With my suits, I like to, to just really denote the richness of my ancestral heritage and history, and that my history did not begin in the bowels of ships with my ancestors being stolen, forcibly removed from their homeland, and brought here to enrich the pockets of others who did not respect them as a human being. That is part of my father's legacy, that we guard the flame, and the flame is this culture, and we pass it on, we give a little spark of the flame to children. We are people, we are humans, and that is his legacy, and that is what I carry forward. Cherise curated the Mardi Gras Indians Hall of Fame, a museum dedicated to documenting the history of masking in New Orleans. There's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's a Baseball Hall of Fame, a Football Hall of Fame. Why is it important for those individuals to be inducted into a Hall of Fame? It's just as important for our people to be inducted into a Hall of Fame. Due to financial reasons, Cherise had to close down the Mardi Gras Hall of Fame in August 2018. She calls it sunsetting. I asked Cherise how she felt after this massive chapter of her life had closed. It was bittersweet. Uh, the first couple of days, I just slept. <laughs> I was exhausted. For two days, I was totally exhausted. But uh, now as I reflect, and even as it approached that milestone, it's been such an integral part of my life. And as a person who suffers from depression, it was both the thing to do because I have high task commitment, but it was physically exhausting. And as I approached 60 years old, I began to think about what I wanted for my life moving forward, because it's more than half done. If I have 20 years to live, I hope it's a little longer, what do I want to do? I want to be physically fitter, fit. I want to have the physicality to be able to travel. I want to have the leisure to relax without a deadline in front of me. Of course, every year I walk out the door on Carnival morning, I always have that very real uh, you know, deadline, oh, it's almost carnival, you're so, are you finished? But other than that, I just want to create art in my own way. I want to be a guardian of the flame. My father said, I think it's the most important thing he said to me as far as how I walk in my light and walk in my path, that you can't call yourself a guardian of the flame if you simply want to say you're pretty or you're the prettiest. You have to say something. You have to make social commentary. You have to break out of the box 
But he said, you have to put something on people's minds. After they see you, they need to be more able to say more than she was pretty. They need to be able to say, well, you know, she her suit um, noted that her great-great-grandfather was enslaved, and she manifested that by this patch that w was broken. It was a broken heart, and it didn't have the other half because his mom and his heart would never be together again. They wouldn't be reunited. It wouldn't be a happy. They would never be really happy again because each was missing the other, and it's a void, a void of her missing her son and a void of that son missing his mom and a void of that dad missing his son. That's the kind of stuff they need to talk about, not that, man, she wore that red. That red was pretty, low level. My father had a term, no good, no good, no good. We're not dancing in the street. We are honoring those who went before us, those who didn't have the opportunity to do that without being harassed because of municipal ordinances that forbade them to do that. That I walk because they walked. So every step I take is an honor of those who went before me. was pretty much not for six by this conversation with Cherise. It showed me that really I've never had to think in this sort of depth about my identity. I've kind of stroked my beard thinking about my identity, but as a straight white bloke, it's really not been a pressing concern. Frankly, it's never really been challenged. But despite the hardships that her ancestors faced and that African-Americans face still today, Charisse and the Black Masking Indians have come to this joyous, multi-layered, celebratory expression of their identity. So I guess what I'm saying is, it's so much more than blood. It's the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we share with other people. So just as Cherise sunsetted the Mardi Gras Indians Hall of Fame, so must we sunset Series 3 of the Rough Guides to Everywhere podcast. Thank you to Owen Wagner for recording Cherise's side of our interview in New Orleans, and to Ken Eng for all the wonderful music and sounds of Black Masking Indians in New Orleans. Ken is making a film about women in Black Masking Indian culture at the moment, which stars Cherise, so keep your eyes peeled for that. This episode was produced by Jesse Lawson, and our series producer was Alana Chance. And finally, thank you to Becca, my most excellent co-host, and to Agnieszka, RMD.